Hi, my name is Marina. I'm co-founder and CEO of Eli. To me, Femtech is using deep tech, the combination of science and technology, to develop solutions improving women's health and our understanding of it. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is brought to you by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with the members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash Femtech. Okay, Fem fans, in today's episode, I interview Marina Pavlovic Rivas, the CEO and co-founder of Ellie Health. Ellie Health enables women to take control of their health across their lives by providing them with powerful information on their daily hormone profile. They are creating a small at-home device to monitor your hormones and a saliva sample on a daily basis. This data is then synced with their app on your phone to provide personalized insights into your daily hormone fluctuations. With this powerful information, users know their precise fertile days, which is useful for couples who want to conceive, but it's also useful for women who want a safe contraceptive method that's hormone-free and non-invasive. What I find most exciting is a long-term mission which goes beyond fertility and contraception. Hormones are at the very root of women's health for their diet, their mental health, migraines, bone health, you name it. Yet, no solution allows for daily monitoring of fluctuations of multiple hormones over many years. This lack of data has led to women's health needs being poorly understood and thus poorly addressed. Hopefully, Ellie's Health device at-home monitoring system can tackle major unmet needs at all stages of women's lives. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Marina. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you. Where are you calling in from today? From Montreal, Canada. Montreal, Canada. Um, are you, were you born and raised there? Yes, born and raised in Canada. My parents are from Serbia and Venezuela. Uh, in fact, my father and a lot of my family still still lives in, in Venezuela. And even if Canada is an Anglophone country, French is actually my first uh, first language. So that's the that's the accent because Montreal is in Quebec, where um, most people speak uh, speak French. Yes. But did your parents teach you Spanish or Serbian? Yes, they did. Uh, actually, mostly uh, mostly Spanish. Um, since my father still live um, in Venezuela, we it's the language we we uh, we speak. However, it's uh, not uh, not uh, not perfect. Still need to to practice uh, more. 
Oh my goodness. What a like worldly woman. You have all of these languages and cultures. That's awesome. I would love to circle back with that at the end about like maybe how your different family members from different backgrounds uh, see women's health, but let's definitely tap into that at the end. But um, let's jump into your story. We kind of already are. Our listeners love to learn about our guests, you know, where they're from. What did they study? Did they go to school? Like, did you have a career before you got into femtech? And, and how did you end up here? Yeah, great, uh, great question. Well, um, as we were talking, I, I grew up in a very multicultural environment, but also in an environment with a lot of diversity in terms of personal paths and how we can approach life. Um, so that was a, a big part of um, my my bringing up, and I'm part of uh, at least the third generation of feminists in my in my family. And women have played uh, a huge role in my life in uh, many, many different levels. So I, I think that's part of how I ended up uh, in Femtech, Amazing. as well, seeing the difference between the, um, well, the role that women plays um, in people's life, but the solution and, and the health outcomes, there's a, a disconnect there. Um, I feel so. I think that's uh, a big part uh, of uh, of the story um, as well. And being a feminist makes loving femtech very easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of overlap there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. And in terms of education, I was always uh, a bit frustrated that we have to to choose a path or a specialization so early in life that, that when you start a bachelor or your studies, uh, if you start studies, that you already have to choose a path. Of course, that path can evolve, but I was always feeling a bit constrained by having to choose one uh, field because I had so many interests. It was going from arts, biology, social sciences, maths, uh, just to name a few. And in I was feeling also that to address and attack some bigger problems, you need to have different perspective of the same reality and different angles to be able to really understand what's happening. Um, so I had a really hard time choosing um, uh, a degree for education. Um, and part of the strategy there was to choose something that could be used in many different fields. So I started by a bachelor uh, in arts communication because um, communication is basically taking information, summarizing it, and taking value out of those uh, information uh, to for a specific goal so that that's what I started uh, started with mm -hmm. and after that I did a master's in science in data science and it's the um, well another angle of the same uh, reality if we can say of treating information summarizing information uh, but through a, a different uh, different lens. Yes. Um, so that's um, 
that was uh, that was uh, the the education portion of the <laughs> of the story. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do with that? Now you're like master communicator. You can communicate through words. You can communicate through numbers. Like, what did you do with that? Uh, well, the the first thing I did after finishing my master was to start a company that was uh, combining both. So data science, but for um, creative and media company. Um, so we were uh, offering services and solution, uh, data science solution, but, but for creative uh, companies. So to help them with um, uh, creation, production, distribution, uh, also in journalism for uh, editorial um, analytics and personalization. So that's, uh, that was the first um, company I started. I sold it um, uh, since, uh, since, uh, since then, and it's still operating uh, today, uh, actually. But it was the, the, first, uh, the first entrepreneurial uh, adventure um, after, uh, after my studies. My goodness, usually the first one doesn't work out. So <laughs> your first one worked out. That's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> It was a lot of uh, a lot of learnings, yeah. um, and the reason why I, I sold it um, actually was to start Ellie uh, because um, this company, and we will talk more about it later. But it was really my my definition of addressing a, a big problem, but through many different disciplines and angles. Mm-hmm. Women's health, it's not just only about health, it's also about gender equality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about so many different things. And to be able to, to address what we want to address, there's many different fields that needs to collaborate together in science, biotech, um, data science. Uh, so it was a the, the combination of everything I could wish for in my uh, wildest dreams. Oh my gosh. Well, let's get into it. What is LE Health? Uh, we're developing a device that measures hormone levels in saliva and an app that interpret those uh, hormone levels. And the reason why we started the company initially um, it was, and I'm sure it's the same thing for many uh, femtech and women's health founder from a personal uh, story. Uh, at that moment, I, I discontinued using um, the birth control pill. I was using many different uh, options over more than uh, a decade. And I wanted to, at that point of my life, I wanted to avoid hormones or invasive devices but still keep the effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And at that point, by talking to a lot of women around me, to physicians, I realized that the number of options uh, existing at this intersection of hormone-free, non-invasive, but still effective, that there's not, there's not that much options. Uh, because birth control is hormone, and then invasive is IUDs. Um, and so non-hormonal, non-invasive. The only one I know of is Fexi, uh, the pH, you know, modulator cream, but yeah. So, all right. So you're trying to discover this thing. How, how did you end up making a hormone tracker versus trying to make a new kind of contraception? Um, it was by talking to, um, 
a lot of doctors, a lot of physicians looking at the existing research uh, that we saw that hormone monitoring could be a viable path uh, for contraception. So there's the big category that we call fertility awareness method. But in that category, the level of effectiveness between methods um, is very different. So if we look at something like uh, the calendar method uh, that we would use uh, with a pen and paper mm -hmm. uh, versus um, the basal uh, body temperature combined with um, cervical fluid tracking, uh, that's a very different level of uh, effectiveness. If, if we looked at, the, for example, natural cycle, uh, using um, the, the thermometer combined with algorithms, uh, it's related to a 90 to 93% uh, typical accuracy mm -hmm. uh, to prevent pregnancy versus for um, the calendar method, something around 80% yeah. accuracy. Yeah. So that's very different. And with hormone monitoring, um, we, we saw um, a systematic review and, and other studies showing that it could reach up to 98% of typical accuracy. It's early studies that needs to uh, be developed. We need to do more with more women on those uh, studies, but it was um, promising. So that's really how the, um, the idea of developing a hormone monitoring um, device started. But very uh, soon in that uh, in that process, and by talking to those hundred women uh, and physicians, we saw that once we're able to measure hormones, that um, the the potential of that goes much beyond fertility and contraception. That because hormones are at the root of so many conditions and transition that women experience across life, that if we're able to put hormonal data in women's hands, we can have a better control over our health at all of those stages. So that quickly became our, uh, our, our mission to be there at every stages of a women's life with hormonal data. And for that, um, we need a technology and a device that enables high frequency testing over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the lack that we were seeing on the market today. Um, uh, hormone monitoring products that are well suited if we're trying to conceive for a short period of time during urine tests, for example, but using something over uh, a long period of time across our life, we wanted something that's at least uh, as easy as brushing your teeth. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't saw that on the, the market. So that's why we, we decided to, uh, to build that product. Amazing. I'm gonna back us up a little bit here because you just said a, a lot of really, really important things. So first, um, you know, you were talking about the calendar method. And so, you know, some of our listeners may not know, but women are only fertile for like two to four days out of a month. So I didn't know that until I was like in the middle of my PhD program, I was consulting for a company that was interested in fertility and I was looking stuff up and I was like, um, seriously, like women are only 
fertile two to four days of a month. Like the number of unexpected pregnancies, I thought we were fertile like all month. Like I had no idea. And so that's why, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's why we can use the calendar method where women are tracking their periods because we know where the fertile window is. And is the fertile window right before the period or right after the period? Uh, it's um, after, um, just um, before, it's a few days before uh, ovulation and a few days um, after, but most of it is the, the few days before ovulation. And, and ovulation happens how many days after your period ends? Uh, well, it, uh, it, uh, it depends on the, on the, on the cycles, yeah. um, but it's uh, around um, something around 10 days, depending on the, on the, the cycle, but we have to validate that information because I have a adult here. If you have what here? I have a, a, a doubt here, and that's that that is the exact information. So we need to validate that. I don't want to mislead anybody. Interesting. You little data scientist, you're like, I don't think so. That's so interesting. Well, either way, we obviously, you and I being experts in femtech, being debating on when the hell the egg even comes out tells you how much more work we got to do, right? Like that means we have to have a lot more work to do. And listeners, if you are wondering, wait, 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 she said you can get pregnant before the egg comes out. Yes, sperm can live in the cervical fluid uh, for up to two days before your egg even comes out. So yeah, uh, your fertile window actually with the egg in the open is like only two days. So the four days comes from the sperm being able to live there. So absolutely incredible stuff. It's, it's, an, it's, it's really amazing. Um, I, you know, obviously have interviewed a bunch of people who are doing hormone tracking. Um, mostly it is for fertility, right? Uh, trying to get fertile because of the LH and the progesterone and everything needs to line up into that, to that moment of conception. Um, but you're saying that, you know, women should be able to check their hormones every day, almost like, um, diabetic with sugar, you know, like on a daily checking in. And so are you going to be checking additional hormones compared to just ones that are for fertility? Yes, exactly. So we're starting with uh, estradiol and, and progesterone, um, mainly to, to be able to detect the entire fertile window. Um, but the, one of the differentiators of our technology is that we're able to expand to other uh, hormones and, and do multiplexing with the same um, with the same cartridge. So that's definitely part of the the roadmap to to expand to other hormones because we see uh, Eddie as a company that's not a reproductive health company. That's part of it, but also a, a general health company because um, yes, there's a, a lot of um, things we can do to improve our, our health um, around fertility, around contraception, around reproductive health. But there's also so many conditions that are driven by uh, hormonal fluctuation that are not necessarily specific to women, but that affect women uh, differently or disproportionately. So migraines, it's, uh, it's one of, example of, of many. Um, that is affecting women more. You think you, think you could predict migraines based on hormonal fluctuation? 
not necessarily uh, predict them. It's it's something we well we would love, but there is also a lot of research that we need to do, and that's also um, part of our mission because once we have that longitudinal um, data set of hormone yeah. fluctuation, yeah. we can better understand those um, those conditions because right now there's a lot of gaps in the research, even understanding um, PMS, premenstrual syndrome, um, and the the more uh, severe kind uh, of it as well, all the symptoms that up to 90% of women feel every month, there's still no clear understanding of what's driving those uh, symptoms. Why do some women have recurrent migraines around a specific time of the month, why for some women it's um, a week before periods and for others uh, two days before periods. Uh, one of the leading hypotheses of the, the appearance of those symptoms, it's not the hormonal level, but the hormonal fluctuation. So being able to um, have a, a view on those hormonal fluctuations and over a long period of time, uh, that will also enable to answer some of those uh, questions and hopefully have, well, a better control over the, those symptoms. Uh, but what has to happen before that is a better understanding of it. Yeah. And let me just rephrase what you just said, because it's so important. You know, you said that sometimes these these symptoms, these conditions or whatever could be caused by fluctuation in hormones and not just the level of hormones. And the reason that's important is because fluctuation in, implies change over time, right? And so there are hormone tests out there to show you the level, but what you're saying is that these conditions isn't necessarily about how much of it you have or how little of it you have. It's about how much you have on this day and then the next day and then the next day after that and where, how is it? How is it fluctuating? So I just wanted to highlight that because I think that's an, a really important part and feeds into why you're doing something that's supposed to be as easy as brushing your teeth, right? So I, you have, so it's a saliva test. Can you walk us through like what the test is like? And then also, I didn't know you could detect hormones in your saliva. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so that was one of the, the, the first uh, hypothesis that we needed to, to address when we started the company, uh, because I'm not a, a physician, I'm a data scientist. My co-founder is a, an engineer with a background uh, in physics. Uh, so none of us are um, medical doctors. Uh, so that was one of the first thing we did create those partnerships with, uh, with physician. And we wanted something easy to, to, to be able to integrate it seamlessly in the day-to-day. -day. So saliva was one promising avenue to do that, but we were uh, puzzled that it's not yet widespread to use saliva. We were wondering why all of the tests use um, urine or blood and yeah. not saliva. We thought that perhaps there's a biological there's a reason. reason yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, we, we dig deeper and we, we saw that um, level of hormones in saliva and blood are uh, in fact correlated 
But the challenge is that the level of hormones in saliva, their presence, it's much lower. So it's less um, than one picogram per milliliter. So that's really, really small. Really, uh, really, really small amount of hormones in a saliva, yeah. Per yeah, liter so of saliva. Oh my God, that's a lot of saliva. Okay. Yeah, we, we did some calculation the other day that to, to be able to have a one millimeter, a one um, milliliter of uh, estradiol in saliva, we would need to fill the apartment with saliva to have one milliliter. Oh my so that's God. a very, very low level. So then how the heck are you going to do it? Uh, well, that's the... Um, the um, one of the strength of our technology that we're able to go in those very low levels. Yeah. Um, but before developing the technology, we needed to validate that um, that correlation. So we, we did uh, a partnership with the McGill University here uh, in Montreal to, to really do a systematic review about the correlation of uh, hormones in saliva and blood that will actually be a, a published uh, paper in the next oh, yeah. uh, next few months so it would awesome. be available publicly um, so we saw that it's just difficult to go get those hormone levels but on the biological level it's they are true. as much yeah. accurate as um as um as blood for the hormones we're looking for interesting well i don't want you to give away anything proprietary or secret sauce right but essentially if someone was trying to imagine what this product looked like is it like a q-tip in the mouth is it like a piece of paper they put on their tongue like and then they and then what do they do with it next because i think everyone probably listening is imagining peeing on a stick and then waiting for a little message, right? And so can you give us a new image to put in our minds what this looks like? Yeah, so for uh, the user perspective, there's a cartridge. So you uh, put the, the, the part with the, the small sponge on the tongue a few seconds, mm -hmm. close it, put it in the device, uh, the device that fits uh, in the palm of your hand at home, and you receive a few minutes later, um, the result on your on your cell phone. So there's really three components of it: the cartridge, the device, and your cell phone. So it's you were mentioning glucose monitoring earlier. Mm -hmm. It's a similar process. Not yeah, you put the, the strip into something. Got it. Exactly. Not the same technology at all, but the same yeah. process from the user perspective uh, than glucose monitoring. Cool. And the device, I think I've seen on your website, it kind of looks like a little Alexa or something, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a little, little machine um, that just sit on a shelf or something. Right. Um, that is seriously so cool. So I know that you just recently fundraised uh, your seed round. You closed it December of last year. What was it like fundraising um, for something that has so much R&D that's still required? You know, what was that? What was that like? And did you experience investors saying this isn't a problem? Like <laughs> this is like what was or maybe everyone was like, oh, yeah, Femtech's the best. Here's our money. Like, tell us how, how did it go? Yeah, well, we had a lot of unknowns because we were hearing a lot of stories from, uh, well, fintech founders, but also um, women fundraising and some of the um, bias they, they face, face while, uh, while doing so. 
Um, so we had um, some apprehension about how would it go and then COVID hit. So that's uh -huh. an additional <laughs> layer of, uh, of, um, of uncertainty. At one point, we were thinking, well, we're a deep tech company, women-led um, minority not speaking English as his first <laughs> language. During a global <laughs> pandemic. Oh my God, girl, the cards against you. <laughs> so we were like, the odds are not necessarily no. there, but uh, let's go. Yeah. And, and once we we started, we, we, we saw that in fact, uh, there was a lot of things in her favor. And we were surprised to see that Uh, with some exception of investors um, not really understanding the need, mm -hmm. or I, I also had the the, the niche <laughs> the the niche comment about the the market, but that was really exceptions. And sometimes it's the exceptions that we talk about the most. But yeah. I have to say that um, with my experience, it was not that at all. When we look at the the big picture that uh, most of the investors we've talked to were understanding that it's a huge market, that there is an opportunity, mm -hmm. that it's the right timing. Um, and with COVID, the fact that all of this happened um, virtually, that also removed the geographical barrier. So we could yeah. focus, and maybe that's one of the reasons um, why we didn't have really a, a negative experience because we could focus on investor who had a thesis related to uh, fintech, deep, deep tech. Um, so we actually, are, one of our colleagues is in uh, Hong Kong, the other one uh, in New York with investors from the US and Canada. So we could be in all of those geographies in the same uh, in the same day marina i love your optimism i think that in order to be a founder you have to be a glass you just took a sip of water glass half full kind of person to be a founder because there are so many things that are gonna try to take you down every single day as an entrepreneur And if you are not excited about all the good things happening, you would just become this like whole of a person, right? Like it's horrible feeling to just, so I love how you just reframe that. Like, wow. Yeah. When we started the fundraise seems like we were totally screwed, but then turns out it was actually all better because, you know, it was virtual and you didn't have to travel. And, um, I also can imagine that, um, COVID actually encouraged this idea of at-home testing, you know? Um, so I think that's really awesome. That's, that's really great. Um, did you end up raising from um, like a big fund or was it angels? It was all uh, venture capital funds. So um, our uh, co-leads, uh, Victor Ventures in Hong Kong, 2048 Ventures uh, in New York with the presence in Canada uh, as well, and other um, VC uh, funds, including um, uh, Real Ventures, Panache Ventures, uh, MedTech here in, um, in Canada, and One Angel Investors, uh, who, who's actually one of our mentors from the very beginning of the, ah. the journey. 
That's amazing. So no, you know, we do have a lot of early stage founders listening and I don't want to make this uh the show is not a, how I built this. I love that show, but that's not what this show is about. <laughs> but I do want to ask you for our femtech founders, especially early stage ones, there's a paradigm of like, you can't fundraise until you have revenue from venture capital. So mm-hmm. how are you able to fundraise from venture capital before even having the product still being an R and D? What do you, why do you think you were able to do that? Um, that's a, that's a good question. I think that the, the longer path you have before being able to, to be where you want to be, the most it has to be clear what's the, what's the need and what's the market and how you differentiate in that market with, um, with a different proposition. So I think that's one part of the, the, the story and a, a very important part to to really show that market potential and and how it's your company that is that can address that that potential yeah I see it kind of similar to I was just talking to a founder before this this interview um, about you know you can be pre-revenue and get money from venture capitalists if what you're working on is called like a moonshot, you know, like Mm -hmm. if it works out is a game changer, right? Like the, like, um, Ellie health is going to be in every woman's home, right? If it works out, like everyone is going to be doing their hormones every day. Right. Um, so there's like this sense of gambling, like it could be huge. It could be huge. Um, whereas it's not going to be a baby, you know, exit. It's not, you know, which I love all exits. All exits are mm-hmm. great. Yours sounds like if it works out, it would be a really, really big exit to maybe like 23Me or Illumina or some like huge, huge, huge healthcare system, right? Yeah. And I, have, I was hearing um, a long time ago, a podcast. I don't remember who was on the, the podcast, but it was a, a founder. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that he had the first company in ad tech. Um, not that exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another company where I think they were building a supersonic plane. So yeah. definitely a moonshot. And he was saying that um, actually building that moonshot felt easier than the ad tech company because when you have a, a big ambitious uh, mission, um, then everything seems easier because people want to be part of it. Uh, the, the team, the investors, um, the community, um, everything feels easier, even if it's not. That is so interesting. I've never, ever heard that or thought about that. But you know what? It is about level setting expectations. And so when you are literally called a moonshot company, like it would be insane if this works out is literally the tagline of the deal, right? <laughs> like when you have that, everyone's like, well, I mean, if we fail, we all expected it to anyways, you know? Um, and what I find is that companies that are not considered moonshot, like the expectation is that like, you better get it right, you know? But it's just as hard, whether you're making supersonic airplanes or fertility tests, like entrepreneurship's just hard. It's just hard, right? So that's so interesting. What are some of the future goals for um, your company? Well, our, our goal ultimately is to, to really be there at every stages of a woman's life in every 
homes. And for that, um, we, we will need to do uh, a lot of additional technology development, but also um, clinical um, uh, studies, additional research. So the, the, the next steps in the medium and long term, it's really to, uh, to continue that expansion in terms of product, but in, also in terms of research that supports um, additional use cases because um, I feel that there's a lot of gaps in, in women's health. Mm-hmm. And You're the telling one, me. <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah. the ones uh, sometimes where there's the biggest gaps is because research, the basic research sometimes, it's not there, but to yep. conduct that research, you need the data to, to oh. do so. And so, it's a chicken and egg, right? It's like, we can't study it because we don't have the data sets. And we don't have the data sets because nobody's studying it, right? Like, yeah. Well, um, when would you estimate that people might be, women may be able to get your um, LE Health? Is it, a, is it in a year? Is it two years, five years, 10 years? Like how far along are we? How, how long should I wait till I invite you back onto the show, essentially? Well, it's still uh, early to, to mention a, an exact date, but we feel that somewhere around, um, well, a year from now, yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, achievable. So it's, uh, oh. although there's a lot of R&D happening and a lot of research happening, yeah. um, we're moving fast, moving responsibly, but still moving fast. <laughs> responsibly so, fast, I like that. <laughs> I like that. And because it's a moonshot, doesn't matter if you miss it. Like you should goal for a year from now, but also like no one will hold it against you. So that is so awesome. Well, Marina, I have two last questions that our listeners really love. The first one is if someone wanted to start a femtech company, what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Well, that's uh, there, there's a lot of them. And I think that um, the, the ones that need the more most innovations are the ones um with perhaps higher risk use case or diagnostic use case where it's harder to reach because there's clinical and regulatory barriers yeah um but those areas i think are ripe for uh innovation and Absolutely. to 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 get there i think a big part of it will be deep tech innovation because um, in femtech there's a lot of uh, business model innovation that are addressing a a huge need but I think to get to those um, more diagnostic uh, use cases we need a combination of business model uh, innovation but also um, deep tech and technological innovation to, uh, uh, to get there. Amazing. Amazing, deep tech. So scientists, mathematicians, engineers, come on out. We need you, we need you. Um, Our last question is, uh, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? I think uh, the more founders we can have, new companies, the Mm -hmm. best, and the more capital we can have also the best because um, femtech, uh, it's not just women starting company. It can be men, it can be um, people from any gender. 
but a lot of times it's still women and women face uh, a lot of um, how to say that we are offered a lot of mentorship uh, when a lot of time it's not mentorship that's needed it's capital because the data shows that the performance of women uh, in business is um, even higher than the ones of men so why offering mentorship when the data shows that the performance we is higher, it's okay. that we, we don't need no advice. Well, data already shows that we're killing it. Just give us the money. Stop telling us what you think we should be doing because apparently we're doing just great, but we need money. Oh my God. I believe a lot in, in, in mentorship to, to build yeah. companies. And I think that if you're men, women, mentorship is the, the key to get anywhere uh, where you want to go. Um, but I feel that there's a disproportion in terms of capital being attributed mostly to men, but uh, mentorship being um, mostly um, offered to, uh, to women. So we should equalize all of that. Yes, 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 yes. It's so weird because it's like, it's almost as if um, this idea of mentoring women is nice because there's like a bunch of people that are like, yeah, I'd love to give women my opinion. <laughs> and it's like, we don't want your opinion. We want your money, you know? Um, and like, but I feel like sometimes mentoring, especially when, you know, like successful business people get asked to like, can you be a mentor at this accelerator or whatever? It kind of comes off as like, can you give your opinion? That's like so great. Like to these ladies that need to know what you think. And it's sometimes I'm like, no, we don't need to know that. We don't, we need introductions and we need checks, you know, essentially it's what we really need. Um, Marina, you are amazing. I'm so excited for you. This is such an awesome product. I remember we saw, you know, we first came across it about a year ago. And so you've come so far, so proud of you. Really nice work. Um, go Canada. There's a lot of femtech in Canada right now. I'm super excited about y'all. Um, and you're such lovely humans. So, um, I love the Canadian founders. <laughs> um, do you have any last word for our listeners? Uh, no, well, thanks a lot for having me. And if I can mention that we will have a lot of job posting uh, open soon. So please check that out for anyone interested. Um, and also Femtech founders in Canada and elsewhere. We're building a, a Slack group of, uh, of uh, Femtech founders. So just a, a group where we can recoup uh, to talk founders to, to founders. So if anyone's interested, please, uh, please reach out. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much, Marina. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you again to our sponsor, Witham, the accounting firm dedicated to supporting the femtech community. And thank you for listening to my interview with Marina, the CEO and co-founder of Ellie Health. Ellie Health recently closed a successful founding round and is hiring. So check out their tech and open positions at ellie.health. That's E-L-I dot health. 
Alrighty, Fem fans, be sure to give the show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health while in the virtual community. You can also sign up to be a Fem Pro member for only $10 a month and get access to the Femtech Institute, a library of Femtech and startup lessons that are sure to help you advance your startup and teach you more about the Femtech industry. Keep an eye out for our monthly Femtech Book Club, which happens last Wednesday of every month, and subscribe to our newsletter. Last but not least, please consider setting up a recurring donation at femtechfocus.org since we are a nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.